Welcome, everybody, to Haunted Hacker Podcast. This is episode number 33. We have Alex Payton on tonight. Um, I'm going to go through some quick housekeeping and some news, and then we'll get started. Um, housekeeping, same as usual, be respectful. I'm shutting down the chat um, during the interview. We'll put it back up for questions at the end. Um, also, show some respect when asking the questions uh, to make the podcast run smooth. Um, so news, uh, I guess there was a North Korean attack on a South Korean uh, nuclear facility. Um, some of their uh, research uh, and planning um, was breached, I, I believe. Uh, so with that, I mean, I mean, we're starting to see like infrastructure being hit all around the world. It's not just the US, it's not just, you know, Europe, it's, it's all over. Um, and that's kind of falls into line with uh, my predictions from last year for this year that we're gonna start seeing a lot more infrastructure attacks and a lot more lethal attacks. And I hate to say it, but I think we're on the precipice of, of probably a big conflict. Um, eventually all of this cyber uh, back and forth is gonna to come to a head and probably end up going kinetic at some point. Um, so be ready for that. Uh, so um, I will introduce Alex. So Alex and I met when I came back from Europe to the States and I was living in Texas and I was really, uh, really sick. And Alex was one of the guys that, that showed some support and he and I got to know each other uh, and he joined the, uh, the Haunted Hacker movement um, shortly after. So Alex, I'll uh, turn it over to you and, and let you, you know, introduce yourself and a little bit about your background and we'll go from there. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so I'm Alex. I'm currently working as a startup founder, which pretty much sucks as it sounds. Um, I kind of am not really like an actual hacker, you know, I was like a little bit of a script kitty as a kid and uh, I kind of got into like business somewhat there and um, I got into software development and ultimately I just wanted to uh, like start something on my own and that's kind of where it's led me. Uh, yeah. So tell, tell us about your, your start as a script kit, kitty. Um, you and I talked a little about uh, the denial of service attacks and stuff like that. Tell me how that all evolved from your start in what I assume would be like gaming or like online gaming type stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I started in gaming, but I mean, I don't know, I guess I was a kid when like the Xbox came out, but my first like real internet game was RuneScape. Uh, that was like fourth or fifth grade for me. It was pretty cool. It was like an open economy. You could talk to people. I totally had like my first girlfriend on that game, even though it wasn't a real girlfriend. Uh, it's just like a, it's a lot of um, life that happens on it uh, kind of at that age. Um, at some point I got hacked in the game and that sucked and I lost all my stuff. And then I kind of started looking into like, oh, how'd that happen? And um, as like a dumb kid does, I started doing it myself. And um, from there, I just kind of bounced around a little bit. I think for the most part, it was probably like fishing pages or something. Um, it wasn't really like serious, you know, you get like a couple of people, a couple of cool accounts, but for the most part, RuneScape like reverses it all. Um, from that, I, I was kind of like on the hunt for a game. I tried like Second Life and all other kinds like that, but um, 
ultimately I settled on this really cheesy Facebook game. It's called Yeovil. It was a Zynga game. Um, and it just had kind of like a fun social aspect, but also had a little bit of an economy. Um, like you could sell your game items. So I started dabbling in like packet editing and like cheat engine and stuff back then. And, you know, you could kind of just, you could get away with enough stuff that it was like always interesting to play the game. And there was kind of like the little hacking squads that came up and then they would start battling. That's actually probably how I got introduced to DDoS, like really. I mean, it wasn't actually DDoS. It was just like spam in the chat until the other person froze, <laughs> like their internet browser crashed. But uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty total script kitty. <laughs> yeah, there was some, there was some pretty, uh, there was some pretty, um, yeah, from, there was some pretty interesting attacks during like that gaming type scenario, right? So when they came out with like uh, Comcast and some of the DSL or like high speed routers, you could actually hit a pause button on the router and move yourself around the game and then unpause it. So we used to do that a lot. So it kind of falls into the same, the same arena that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah I, it was like it was a start that was like fun I mean I think at least for when I got into programming like the hardest part is finding a project you actually like want to work on because mm -hmm. like it just kind of sucks to do random tutorials the whole time and like gaming's fun for a kid so if you can hack a game it's pretty golden yeah. um but yeah I did that for a bit and then I kind of moved off and started getting into like a little bit more of the lower end malware and that's why I kind of got introduced to like key loggers and uh, like rats and all that stuff. Very cool so you talked about um, you and I talked about how you made the transition to cryptocurrency and some of the challenges that you and your friends experienced and I thought it was really interesting one of the challenges you were talking about was you're too young to have a PayPal account. So they would confiscate, they would ban you from PayPal and confiscate your cash, which I think is total bullshit. Like if, if someone is a uh, young yeah. enough and you know, underage and they're making all this money, if I was PayPal, I would probably send them an email saying, Hey, how are you making all this money? And, and you know, give us some insight as to how you do this, but they would just take your money and move on. Right. Yeah, I mean, they, they do what's called limiting your account, or at least back then they did. And that essentially just means like your account's not usable anymore. And then like your balance shows there, but you know, there's a lot of those balances showing there that have just kind of um, probably faded away over the years. A lot of uh, ghosted accounts. So I don't know what PayPal does with all that. <laughs> so, so it's interesting you use PayPal um, because yeah. it's interesting you use PayPal because um, that's what I have to rely on is PayPal for banking because uncle sam does not want me touching the it's FDIC. The easiest. that's like what everyone yeah yeah and especially yeah. for like, yeah those uh, are... i mean you have like a total different set of problems yeah <laughs> right yeah so that's the, that's the only way that i can do banking but it's interesting that that um you were in cryptocurrency use paypal paypal will confiscate your accounts um so i use cryptocurrency in paypal so i i take the income from paypal and immediately transfer it into cryptocurrency because it's a little bit more difficult for the government to seize that money uh, PayPal, of course, can can limit right. you or shut you down or whatever, but they've made it so easy uh, currently to to work with cryptocurrency because I have a bank card from PayPal that is actually linked to my crypto account. So I'm not spending U.S. cash. I'm spending cryptocurrency, which is really cool. Um, so you talked about um, getting into cryptocurrency, ID management, um, some of the other startups. Uh, why don't you tell us about Rocket R? Okay. Yeah. So um, 
basically that kind of just started out i was setting up like shopify sites and stuff back then like trying to sell whatever crap you can find on alibaba or mm. you know whatever's on the internet <laughs> um and they were basically like creating a uh, storefront for like any random person like me to start selling stuff on the internet and you know i was kind of into it because they had the alternative payment options like it wasn't just paypal it was also stripe and then like the set of cryptocurrencies which kind of just makes it like usable to everyone that like has some payment option for the most part um and that i mean it, it worked pretty well for a while ultimately we wanted to kind of get into like real payment processing not just like delivering digital goods for people and handling orders but um that's like where the the government regulation and stuff comes in and that's just like expensive and it was hard and honestly we were like college kids so we didn't know what was going on anyways <laughs> they make it so difficult to be an entrepreneur and to to make money um, it seems like every corner that i turn i'm running into a government red tape roadblock um, so i mean it, it's really cool to hear someone who's been successful uh, through multiple startups um, so at what point did you go from let's say rocket r to to where you're at now with with swish and tell us a little bit about Swish and, and the agenda for Swish. Okay, yeah, so I kind of, um, for Rocketer, we, it was in like college that we kind of all started it. Um, we didn't really know what we were doing. It was just like a project to make a little money on the side and then it kind of like ballooned and it's like, oh crap, you have a company now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I guess for Rocketer, for the most part, it was just like a big learning experience and probably in, I guess it would be 2019. I think 2019, I started thinking like I wanted to do something else. I kind of had the opportunity to work more on Rocketer and like take over the engineering. But to be honest, I didn't have like the experience to really do that and be comfortable, at least like on my own, if uh, my other co-founder left. So I just opted to kind of start teaching myself. Um, and that pretty much has led me up to this point because it's been a long journey. I like for switch it's essentially internet identity and that means you have to learn the regulations i had to have like a pretty decent knowledge of the uh, software i need a little bit of the security i had to get some stuff figured out for the ai and uh, it's just like a lot um yes yeah probably the regulation and all that yeah it's it's starting up a a, a privacy company um, especially like if you plan on going international is, is really difficult because there's so many different privacy laws uh, with each government. I mean, you have GDPR with, with the UK, um, you have all the privacy yeah. acts in, in the US. Uh, it just seems like they're trying to limit what information that we can expose while they gather all of that information. So the, the whole privacy structure really hasn't made a whole lot of sense to me because of, you know, we fight hard to protect people's identity, to protect people's information but the government kind of circumvents that and uses platforms like facebook google uh major banking institutions to grab that data so while we work hard to protect it the government's ripping it away um, which brings me to my next point you mentioned uh, the patriot act in our conversation um, and the home of the patriot why don't you uh touch on that for me a little bit yeah, so I mean, it's going to be a little hard because yeah. I still have like a somewhat novice uh, understanding of it. But for the most part, it's just them trying to identify like terrorists if they're signing up for a bank or whatever. But I don't know how many like terrorists they actually prevent. I think for the most part, it's just like what's came to be in. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it's just kind of the thing that you have to do. And um, 
fintech right now. And um, I think a lot of the, I think this kind of drives into like KYC and a lot of that is just, you don't really have like a structured set of guidelines. I think the general understanding is that you try the best you can and if it's not the best you can, you're probably in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. It's, like it's, it's not easy. I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. It, like um, there's a lot of problems with this um, in the US, like even just going to how do they identify you? Well, one of the main things is your driver's licenses, but have you actually like looked at someone's driver's license before? Which state are they from? Is it vertical or horizontal? Which version is it? There's like 10 different versions and there's different standards back to 2000 and like, you get past all that. And then you realize like that the identity verification companies that are up now, I think maybe Jumio or Ampido or someone posted like a PDF you can read on their site, but basically it says like 2% of all identities that go in that are fraudulent. They just have like no idea what to do. If they're too good, they can't do anything. They're like relying on these crappy pictures. So like, it's a really hard problem. And then it turns out like the problem is just not even solved in the end. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, and it's, it's funny because it's pretty much um, when, when you talk about the, uh, the government trying to limit terrorists from getting bank accounts, I thought it was really funny because I went into a very, global bank really um and tried to sign um up on an account as a signer on the account not owning the account but just being part of the account and the manager stopped for a second he looked at the screen he was kind of confused kind of looked at me walked away came back and he says well we kind of have a problem and i said well, what could that problem be I, i'm not understanding i gave you my my identification you know you have everything you need he goes well you're on a list and i thought wait a minute a list for what he goes, well, I can't tell you that, but it's DHS. And so the, the part that kills me is, so they treat me as if, you know, I'm some kind of foreign entity that they want to throw sanctions on. And I'm a citizen and they do that every day. And that what kills me is the fact that, you know, we work hard to protect the financial systems and, and the data and people's privacy, but it's like the government does everything they can to defeat that process and put you on a list. Uh, which, I mean, granted, yeah, they, they, they were probably in their right mind when they put me on a list. Um, but, I mean, if they, if they followed anything I did, they would probably take me off by now. Uh, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, so it's really interesting. Yeah. So have you encountered... Yeah, I, this is like a... Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, this is a problem for, um, like, anyone with kind of a criminal background opening. Like, my co-founder, uh, Rob, got me into crypto pretty heavily because he had trouble opening up uh, bank accounts from like something he did as a youth for the, for the most part. And um, that just like affects him still. Yeah. And it's funny because the, the federal reserve system, you know, I had a federal reserve clearance. I, I still have a federal reserve clearance, which they trust me enough to go into the federal reserve and do pen testing, <laughs> but they don't trust me enough to have a bank account. It just, it blows yeah, me that's, that's pretty absurd. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say to that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's insane. Um, so with, with your interactions with, with cryptocurrency, with privacy, so in my mind, if, if I'm looking at that picture from kind of like an Intel status, right, I'm looking at, okay, he's, he's into Bitcoin, he's into, you know, cryptocurrency, he's into privacy, you know, what else is he into, right? So has that landed you in any kind of like issues where you had to answer to questions by the government or investigators or anything like that? Not personally, I've known a lot of people that like have had problems with it and 
like even recently people have told me they have like some pretty major problems that just turn them off to it completely uh honestly i only like even mess with bitcoin like at all and bitcoin's not like the privacy solution uh, like i'm not trying to to really advocate for monero or anything um i think there's like definitely a time and place for the privacy coins and stuff it's, yeah. I, it's hard for like the us like what are you gonna do like they're just gonna tell coinbase not to not to allow it and then, <laughs> so i'm pretty like okay with bitcoin i think it's like a good step forward i i don't think it's like going to ruin the dollar tomorrow or at least i sure shit hope it doesn't um and yeah i think it's just like a step forward uh kind of before bitcoin came to be uh my secondary to paypal like because it just became a problem at some point was um liberty reserve which was essentially just pay paypal without like any regulations like a bitcoin that could be shut down um and that was like cool for a little bit but then the, the fbi i think uh is the one that shut it down they just came in and said this, <laughs> you guys are done get get out of here and uh, i don't actually know what the sentencing was for the uh the ceo of that but i think he might still be away yeah i so mean that's it's... that's like when i got introduced to patriot act too like yeah, the, in the, real life. So, so those of you that, that are listening that, that don't know what the Patriot Act is, Patriot Act was uh, put into effect after 9-11. And basically, it was the modern day equivalent of the Salem witch trials. Um, they allowed people to snitch on their neighbors, snitch on anybody they could that, that had some sort of uh, potential tie to terrorism. Um, I got wrapped up into that fishnet, as well as a lot of other people. And they use the Patriot Act to sentence hackers to terrorists, pretty much sentences. Um, and after the Patriot Act, they labeled and classified every hacker that they, they collected as a potential cyber terrorist or a cyber terrorist. Um, so it's really interesting how they, how, they how they try to control the cryptocurrency. Um, so what are your thoughts with like uh, Elon Musk and, and inflating and affecting the market? Just like when we look at like the Federal Reserve and, and the dollar, right? Any kind of like uh, volatility or any news event that, that could potentially affect capitalism, the dollar drops. So with cryptocurrency, we look at like donators and, and investors like Elon Musk who completely affect the direction of Bitcoin, right? So when he shut down the acceptance of Bitcoin for Tesla, and Bitcoin took a huge hit. Then he came back and reworded and he said, well, you know, if, if they collect and they mine with clean energy, then maybe we'll accept Bitcoin again. So what are your thoughts on how Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the market is affected by outside influence? Okay, so um, I guess I'll break this for Musk into two parts because I think it's like, one, it's hit on the Bitcoin people that are pissed off because he kind of, you know, shit on it a little bit. And then there's like the Dogecoin side where it's maybe he's just like a huge meme or it's a it's a stonk. Um, but I, so for the Bitcoin thing, I think there's definitely merit with like the clean energy to an extent. I don't think it's been any secret in Bitcoin for like quite a long time that there's some pretty like sketchy energy operations that are powering it. I don't think that's like what's required for Bitcoin to run. Um, and ultimately, I kind of like the he he put like a voice to it you know like someone had to slap bitcoin in the face and like tell get your shit together that was awesome um, it was awesome now for like yeah <laughs> i i actually had a pretty cool conversation on linkedin with a couple of people who 
names I can't remember right now, but they uh, they had a lot of good points to it. Um, I think it's definitely affected a lot of people. I think, you know, Elon trolls maybe a little more than he should sometimes, but I like trolling. So, yeah. it's, so it's a pretty miserable life to be a founder. So if that's what you got to do, I guess it's, it's yeah. okay. So, so what's, what's funny is, so after Elon Musk affected uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, then Anonymous slapped a threat onto Elon Musk. And now there's like this back and forth, like, you know, taunting the trolls type environment. Um, but if I could give a, a word of advice to yeah. Elon Musk would be probably don't engage with that, that conflict because it could turn out really bad. Um, because Elon Musk does yeah. affect does affect most of the world, most of the scientific exploration, uh, space, whatnot. So he has a lot to risk. And when you taunt a, a group like that, you're putting yourself on the chopping block. Um, so yeah, that's pretty dangerous. But as far as like the cryptocurrency goes, uh, so I've toyed around with uh, Monero, Ethereum. I built uh, miners with Raspberry Pis. Actually, there, there is a Bitcoin uh, miner that it's called Rokus or Roku or Roko or not really quite sure what the name is, but it's an actual OS that, that is built around mining for Bitcoin. So I use that as well as some scripts that I got from GitHub that connects me to MinerGate. But the, the point is when you're getting into crypto, there's a couple of things you need to understand, right? So in order to mine for crypto, it's not a fast process. Um, it, it could take you a long time to even get just a portion or a fraction of a, of a coin. Um, but for me, it's just research. For me, it's a hobby. I, I enjoy doing it. And eventually someday, you know, I may, I may have some kind of income from it. But um, to let people know, you can, you can mine for Bitcoin on Raspberry Pi. But if you use one Pi and mine for, for crypto, you'll be dead before you get that coin. Like, it, there's no way. Um, <laughs> so what we do is we make banks of crypto. And kind of what I've been looking at, um, kind of a proof of concept theory, is so I created a gaming cabinet, right? With Raspberry Pi OS and, and I have, you know, amplifier and a box and everything. But on that OS, what's to say that I couldn't run a script in CronTab to actually mine for Ethereum with that connection? So I could sell these to like big businesses, these tabletop cabinets and embed that script and mine for malware or mine for a cryptocurrency within their network after I sell the device. So I wonder, yeah. I, I started doing some research on that, right? And I found that there are some antivirus companies that ship their products with miners built into their product. Um, I've seen it a million times with, with browsers that have crypto mining um, plugins that people don't know they have. And you can hear it. Like I'll be walking through an office and I'll hear a computer like spinning up like it's going to blow up. Yeah. I, I take a yeah. look at it and it's a crypto For miner. Sure. That's I, I don't know if this is like. Go ahead. I don't know if this is um, like maybe going more into production but like I, when i was a kid like for bitcoin in 2013 or whatever this this is like this was already a thing people were just trying to rat you so they could run a bitcoin miner on your computer um and like back then you could just run the bitcoin like node on your laptop and maybe you got lucky like sometimes whatever you could buy a bitcoin for like eight dollars <laughs> who cares um but yeah it's definitely like people have been planning that secretly for a little while now yeah, and it's, I wouldn't it's, be surprised if it broke into IoT if it hasn't already. Oh, it, it will, it will. So if you look at like Mariah Botnet and how we took advantage, or how they took advantage of um, uh, surveillance cameras and stuff like that, 
Um, same, same concept, right? So we can look for the IoT. We know, but the problem is with IoT is we know that the computing power for the IoT is not going to be as high and robust to, to gain the Bitcoin. Right. So, so what they do is they look at universities, right? And universities are known to be flat networks and pretty open and, and freedom of knowledge. And so people hit those with crypto miners hard. And the amount of mining that's done that makes and, sense. and the revenue that comes back is pretty high. Um, and also they look at, when you speak about IoT, um, I, ha I worked in the oil and gas industry and pretty much every platform that I took a look at that had our service and, and our devices, there was at least some, some sort of trace of Bitcoin miners. Um, and it was a big problem. Um, and those guys on the rigs, they don't care. You know, as long as they have an internet connection, it may be slow, but they don't care. Right. As, long as, as long as they can watch their movies and, and their questionable material, uh, they don't care. So at what point- Maybe this is a little ridiculous, but- uh, Go ahead. If they ever like run those you know, too hard and start overheating computers on like an oil rig, is that a thing? Is that yeah. a problem or is that like just some imaginary- no, no, that that's 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 cool. that's spot on. So some of the laptops that I had to do and some of the uh, servers that I had to do kind of like an investigation on um, were actually connected to the operations of the platform. Um, so here's guys that are that are running um, illegal operations on the laptops. They're they're looking at child porn. They're running. They're they're infected with crypto miners. It's like a playground because nobody on those platforms gives a shit about security. And the hackers identify that and look at the processes yeah. and, and in the computing power and like, shit, I'm on it. You know, it's a, it's a good way to make money and, and, and shame on the oil and gas industry for not locking down their shit. Um, I don't, I don't know if any of the oil hands on the decks of the, of those rigs know how vulnerable they are, but if I was an oil hand on a rig and I knew that my network was that vulnerable, um, that they could potentially cause catastrophic damage on that platform. I think I'd be a little pissed off. Um, and I think it's, it's going to come down to that. We're going to see more effects of yeah. uh, infrastructure and oil and gas and some sensitive shit getting hit. Um, and at what point, it, and, and, and it's, it's really interesting how they plan this, right? So they waited until the Democrats got into the office of the U.S. And they're traditionally known for not pulling the trigger. Um, so now we're getting like beat up by every country with malware, ransomware, you name it. And our government just kind of sits back and says, you know, don't do that again. You know, we may do something about it, but never will. Not until we get a Republican in the House. Yeah. Um, so that's been a pretty interesting uh, topic for me because I, I, uh, I don't really like, I don't have formal experience in like these older companies that are really getting hit by ransomware, but ransomware is like another one of those things that's just been around like since I got started, I thought ransomware was like old technology, like everyone already knew and stuff. And then these companies just started getting hacked like a year or two ago. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, it's this bad, I guess. This and is real like shit. When, yeah. when the scariness of cybersecurity opens up. Yeah. Well, see, so actually, like my thought about how volatile um, the cyber uh, footprint is, um, was after the Stuxnet attack. When the U.S. and Israel hit um, Iran with with that malware, um, that was pretty impressive, uh, and I think it brought to light, you know, like just all of the evil shit that goes on. Um, and I, I get people like in think tanks and stuff like ask me questions about, you know, where do you see this going? And we've been on this road for such a long time, 
And they keep asking the same dumb questions. It's like, where are we going? I, you know, we've told you 10 years ago and we're here now. Do you want me to predict the next 10 years and tell you how shitty it is? And they act like it's magic, right? That we're able to yeah. predict this shit, but it's not magic because we look at the industry and the infrastructure and we're like, this shit's fucked. And you people have known about it for 10, 20 years and haven't done anything about it. Um, so the predictions are easy to make, you know, it's just looking at the, the current trend and being like, yeah, we're getting fucked on every aspect of infrastructure. So, you know, here we go. Um, so cryptocurrency took a huge, huge dive not too long ago. Uh, but at one point, I mean, the uh, one Bitcoin could buy you a house. Do you foresee like the future of cryptocurrency um, bouncing back to that sort of level? Or do you think we're on a gradual slope back up now that we have more government insight? Hmm. Uh, maybe the easier way to answer this is I'm still holding. Uh, I, I think it's going up. I mean, to me, like I've, I'm a little worried, like scared that the economy right now. And again, like, I don't think or want Bitcoin to like overthrow the economy. I just think it's like, it kind of makes a little sense for me right now. Um, as for it crashing, I mean, the other part of being around it so long is that, I mean, you just see these cycles. They've happened like a lot of times now. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of hard. Like, I don't want to tell people to buy Bitcoin or anything. <laughs> I will. never told people to buy Bitcoin. I think people should look into it. And I mean, I hope they buy it, but yeah. it's on you. Uh, Ultimately, like I, the last time I bought into Bitcoin, it was like $5,000. So whether it went down 50% from like an all-time high or not, it's pretty good in my book. I mean, like I've been a founder that has been able to live off it without any salary and just like learn shit for two years now plus. But it's so, pretty great for me. So so the, the creator of, I think it was Ethereum, it's like 27 years old. And what I find really impressive about cryptocurrency and that, that, yeah. In that, in that market is that it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your experience. Um, if you have the knowledge uh, and the passion, it's easy to get into. Um, we're actually thinking about starting a haunted hacker um, token for cryptocurrency. Um, so I'm kind of like looking into that. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure on how to go about that, but I've got a few people that are like helping me out and, and give me advice and consulting. Uh, but I definitely, by this time next year, I want to have our own cryptocurrency running. Um, you know, that'll kind of help me and 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 the way that I function. It's, I've been pretty interested in it for like the last couple months. Yeah, for sure. Well. Especially like when you look at the tensions in the U.S. and you know, like the market and the economy, the global economy, even um, we're really hurting. And when you look at the the dollar, how it's based on um, you know different goods, you know, like oil. And shit like that. But 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 what's bad about our currency is we just keep printing money like mad and putting us more and more in debt. And the only people pro uh, profiting off of that is the government. And they hate cryptocurrency because of the fact that other people have a potential to fucking profit. Um, and they have no way to control that. Uh, and it's sort of the same fight with, you know, like THC across the U.S. and then different states going, you know, hey, this is legal. Hey, it's not illegal. It's a lot of confusion with that. Um, same thing with cryptocurrency. But um, yeah, I, if, if I could suggest anything to anybody that's interested in crypto that have never touched it, there are a couple of OSs you can actually 
run on your Raspberry Pi. Like I said, it's going to take forever, but you kind of get the idea of how it functions, how it operates. And what we did was built like a supercomputer out of a stack of Raspberry Pis with distributed computing to help burn those blockchains um, and, you know, get a little bit of revenue, but that was years ago. So I'm, I'm kind of ramping that up now to see if, if anything's changed, um, especially now that the market, the cryptocurrency market's kind of dropped a little bit. Now's a good time. I mean, if you're interested in mining for Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, do it now um, because it's, you know, it's not super low, but it's low enough to where if we have another big boom, you may be able to get some cash off of it. Um, so what are your plans for the future, Alex? I mean, like, you know, I know that you've, you're a founder of Swish and, and you've done all these things. So what's in your future? What, what's your roadmap look like? Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> I, like, basically just got to the point where I could kind of launch, like, my starting MVP for Swish. Um, and then, like, I just got hit with how much work it's been. And uh, I've been having, like, a month of reflection kind of like on whether I want to keep going or not, but I'm pretty like certain I can't stop at this point. Uh, but I, I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff to do with Swish, but I don't think all of it is necessarily so useful. Yet. Um, like I've been pretty into uh, session hijacking lately, just like swapping cookies around um, on computers is for example, like sometimes on whatever random site, Facebook, you might have uh, like two accounts and you log in and out from either one of them, but you don't really need to do that. If you store your login cookie, it's just already on your computer. And for the most part, it's unsecure because if you inspect element, then it's, it's there. Um, but there's a lot of pretty cool stuff with that that I think could be done, though. That's all like desktop based. So at least in my world, most things run on cell phones now. So I think I'm kind of interested in just going to work for a company for a little bit and uh, seeing what's up. I feel like I've been on the startup train for a little while in like a weird way. It's been pretty exhausting and I don't know, maybe I'll change my mind in a month or so. <laughs> maybe it depends if Bitcoin goes up. It, it can wear you out. So for a period of time, for like, I think it was about 10 years, I did nothing but startups. Um, and the, the most frustrating part is like leaving a startup when they're like on funding round B or, or A and then looking back when they're past the, you know, the C round and they're actually selling off for millions of dollars and you're kicking yourself in the ass cause you didn't stay. Um, that's, that's been my biggest regret <laughs> is not staying with those, with those startups, you know, that I knew were going to sell. And, and, um, the startup industry is, is really interesting. You, you can make hella bank or you can go hella broke. Um, it's, it's a really dicey game, especially yeah. in the economy right now. But I think privatization, privacy, um, anything cryptocurrency related, uh, anything to protect individual ID is going to be a booming business here in the next 20 years. Um, it may not catch on for a while, but I think when the U.S. government yeah. starts like clamping down on people and, and giving us less and less privacy, it's going to be more of a fight for that privacy. Uh, and I kind of want to be on the forefront of that. Um, so that's kind of why we're, we're looking at cryptocurrencies for the hunt. Yeah. I, I think just like within maybe the next five years or something, the identity verification industry is projected to grow like a couple billion dollars, but in 10 or 20 years, I mean, 
in my mind, this is like the future of identity and accounts on the internet. Like, I think it's going to work. It's more like, I don't know if I can pull it off and I don't know if I want to put the work in all the time, but <laughs> maybe I'll just help someone else who wants to. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to do that. I got into a tokenization company, um, which basically for those of you who don't know tokenization, when you're dealing with privacy and dealing with like purchases, um, the accounting information is stored on one database um, and really each person is like issued a token and that represents the transaction. Uh, the transaction doesn't take place in the financial institution or the, the private browser. It takes place in a database that uses tokens um, and those tokens are really useless unless you have both tokens and the server. Um, so, I mean, it's a good technology, but here's the thing is that I think eventually we're going to come to a point where, you know, Obama tried to do the internet ID um, system. And I think if we, f if the government fights net neutrality and they go after owning the internet and controlling the internet, we're going to end up with that some sort of variance of that ID system, whether it be biometric, whether it be, you know, sort of like a driver's license. Um, and at that point, I think, so the old crypto guys, the old spooks are going to come out and, you know, the, the, the privacy, you know, guys are really going to light up the internet. Um, and I think that is, to me, that's exciting because to me, that's people wanting to protect themselves um, and want to go against the grain. And that's kind of what has to happen in order for us to like move forward. Um, when you look at some of the old like explorers like Columbus and, and some of the other people who like sailed the world, like looking for new land, it's a risk, right? Um, so in part of the thing for, for us as privacy advocates, it's a huge risk. I mean, I see all the time people who are big time privacy advocates who are found, you know, passed away in their apartment with no reasons behind it. And they can't figure out what happened. Um, people falling off the map like that. Uh, so it's just, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the economy, what happens with the U.S. dollar, um, and especially since you know we we depend highly on oil, and now we're we're like flirting on the the, the brink of uh, a conflict with Iran and with uh, Russia. It could, it could potentially get bad for the economy, and I think that's the whole point um, is that we need to have some alternative means in place. And I don't really care if the rest of the U.S. or the rest of the world gets on cryptocurrency because. I want it because I want to have a place to, of refuge. Uh, most people in the U.S. don't want that. As long as they get their Starbucks in the morning, they get their Target on the way home. They don't give a shit about the news or anything that happens to them. Um, but that's why. Yeah, we're... it's hard to get people to care. Yeah, <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah. Let's say um, and for the for the U.S. on mm -hmm. for the U.S. on digital ID, they have. Um, They've been testing with, uh, I can't remember what the Canadian-based company is, but ID.me ID .me is um, like what the U.S. government funded maybe a couple million dollars for uh, basically identity services. For I, That's like what the DMV uses. So I think it's for the government, but it's a private company. Um, and then you also have like the full-blown ones. Uh, but I was perusing a darknet market like maybe a week ago, and I think I saw the Estonia uh, like digital ID database on one of them. So I don't know if that's like a thing yet, but that's like the one I know of that went blockchain. So yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it it's, wasn't like a good sign. <laughs> no. 
it's a, and it's like a super competitive market as well, right? Like, so you have the warring cryptocurrencies, you know, you have uh, Elon Musk, like, you know, smacking Bitcoin while he's supporting Dogecoin and stuff like that, which I, I personally, you know, I thought Dogecoin was a joke when it first came out because Snoop Dogg was like supporting it. But the more I heard about it, I was like, Doge is 100% a joke. It's legit. But it's legit, though. People are buying Doge. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's just, like, normaler to me. Mm -hmm. But, like, people give a shit about memes. And, like, Mm -hmm. people are buying this stuff because of that. And, like, I mean, we did payment processing over, like, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin Ethereum. But, like, people don't use that. They use Bitcoin or they use, like, PayPal and that there's not really like an in-between like maybe some people use ethereum now because it's cheaper mm-hmm. but like if bitcoin's 18 dollars, no one wants to use it and yes. some people still will but like but i mean we got a ton of crap for that or if you go to litecoin like people don't like that that much all the time like for, for the most part but uh i think dogecoin like even though it's a meme and even though it's a complete joke and even though I don't own Dogecoin, I think it's probably the best payment option right now. It's crypto-based. And I think the fact that Coinbase just added it, like when sites start picking that up, like say OnlyFans or something, that's like what people are going to buy because it's they already know what it is. They like know it works. Elon Musk talked about it. The price is going up and like it's cheap and it's fast. So, so you brought up a good point. So I think- a lot- I don't know what else to say. I think a lot of cryptocurrency is actually fueled by the pornography market, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, so I don't know enough about NFTs yet to te- te- talk technically about them. Um, I'm interested in NFTs. I think there's like some cool stuff going on, but I don't think it's like there's a couple artists that are going to get like lucky from all the hype over it, but it's not going to like change people's lives overnight, but like it might lead to a pretty cool future. I think like it's a step, a good step forward. Um, I'm also kind of interested a little bit in the decentralized like social media platforms that have been popping up. Um, again, I don't really know what the, the best one is or necessarily all of them or even why they're good, but I do think they're kind of cool <laughs> for whatever that worth whatever that is worth um i've been checking it's like twitter 2.0 could come up and like all your content would still be there or you could keep posting to it or you could post to Twitter 2.0 and maybe it would go to twitter.com also if they allowed it. Um, what about? Well, I've got another question here for you, Alex. Um, what do you think uh, about XRP and what's going on on there with the SEC, et cetera? And will it bring regulatory changes or clarity? Okay. Sorry. So I'm familiar <laughs> with XRT. Like I, but I, I don't I don't know enough to answer that. I'm I'm not familiar enough to answer that. It's just like I've heard it in passing for the most part. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So so, well, in it, so NFT, I noticed something with uh, NFTs are interesting. Go on, right? Mike. Go on, Mike. Yeah, yeah. So NFTs are interesting, Alex. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of people that are fighting for that NFT capability uh, to be part of that process. Uh, that's actually where the money is is made is during creators. The yeah, yeah. So I mean, that, that's that's awesome that that you know we have the capability of being able to do that as an individual. But there's not enough knowledge in the industry, I don't think, to actually be able to do that like right. proficiently. And so. At some point, like maybe we should have a, like a crypto type um, cryptocurrency podcast where we help people and we do some research and, and actually bring that to the table and start a cryptocurrency mining project within our group. Um, I think it'd be great. It'd be a great place for people to learn and, and maybe, you know, make a little cash. Yeah. Um, one of the cool things I actually found uh, when I was like browsing BitCloud a little was there's a lot of creators that have signed up there that like they want kind of something to do with this technology, but they don't like know what to do with this technology. They're like music <laughs> producers or something, not blockchain developers. So there is like that opportunity if you uh, maybe like want to go find a creator that like has creator knowledge, but doesn't necessarily have like the programmatic abilities. Yeah. They're definitely interested. Like creators want to make money. They're incentivized. They're like, Hell yeah, NFT. They just there's not like a ton of ways to make money with it yet. Maybe yeah. you do like a crypto kitty or something, and that like pops up. So, so you came to the haunted the haunted movement. I guess it was about three or four months ago. So, what what brought you to our group, um, and what have you seen so far? I mean, if you have any questions for us, or um, you know, is there is there anything that you could you know toss our way as far as comments that could make things better? Um, basically, how did you find us and, and why did you come to our group? <laughs> I have to like think on it a little. For the most part, I think I just found you on LinkedIn because I like add a lot of random people on LinkedIn and just start talking to them like um, <laughs> very random people. But uh, what kind of kept me around for the Haunted Hacker was uh, when I actually started listening to the interviews, I started getting that like, backdated knowledge on these like systems that just I, this was like problems I thought were solved and then you guys started talking about them I was like oh oh shit that's a that's a thing <laughs> but it's been pretty like exciting to uh follow along with all that and um beyond that like again I just don't I'm not like a hacker you know like I could maybe write a, a shitty like <laughs> SQL injection but or you know, like, it's just not me. So right. for the most part, I'm just like a fanboy of watching you guys and following a lot, learning. But but you're so smart. Like the things you the things you've done and the, the startups you have and, and the knowledge you have in, in cryptocurrency and, and privacy is just paramount. Like I haven't run into a whole lot of people that know what the fuck they're doing. Um, I, I was working for a company in Scotland that did privacy. Again, there's not a whole lot of people out there in the industry that know what the fuck they're doing when it comes to privacy. And that's why we have so many privacy issues. One thing I'd like to see the privacy industry go after is the way that people authenticate and get their ID proven and accepted in gaming systems, um, especially stream, you know, like streaming games with children. Um, the, the ID and age check is not sufficient for those platforms. Um, and kids are targeted constantly for that shit. Um, and I think the, the gaming industry has completely failed. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. I imagine like that experience to kids now is probably like what Omegle was to me like as a kid. <laughs> it was pretty garbage. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think there's definitely a place there. 
And I actually recently found out maybe a couple months ago from um, a founder in gaming that they're obligated to KYC requirements like quite a bit of the time. Um, I assume just because there's like a secondhand market for game items being sold. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, they, they have like that incentive also that I just didn't know about. Yeah. The, the, the in gaming purchases and kind of the in gaming wallet has been a high priority target of hacking groups for a long time. Um, not only that, but actually recruiting yeah. some of these kids that were able to do the stuff that you did, like the Donald service and, and, you know, modding games, uh, to them, that was, you know, hey, if, if they can do this, we can teach them to card, we can teach them to be money mules, um, whatever they want. So it's a really interesting market. Um, so I'm going to open up yeah. for questions. Uh, let's see. Steve says, hey, Alex, great show. Any recommendations on what we call what we, what we all can do to encourage the use of cryptocurrency and help improve our knowledge of it? Um, I guess I had like another one of those cybersecurity moments recently where like I realized everything was backdated when I was watching the, um, the daily show with, uh, Trevor Noah mm -hmm. and he was talking about Bitcoin. He's like, oh, Bitcoin's not even anonymous anymore. But like, I mean, if you've been around Bitcoin, like, you know, it hasn't been anonymous for a, a long time, but that's like still where people are at. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so I, there's still like a lot of education that needs done. I think it's like a 10 or 20 year movement. Um, I'm not going to say like Bitcoin is made for payment processing because I don't think it is anymore. I think it's like the store value that people want, but I think payment processing is definitely helping it get to that point. Um, and so probably the more you use it, even if like it's not buying from a store, but sending like five or $10 to your friends, mm -hmm. they would probably, you know, maybe use it a little more than like, I've sent it to friends that now use it. And that's probably why. I'll so tell you I, what, I guess that's probably my best advice. I'll tell you what, I was like terrified of cryptocurrency um, when the U.S. government you know, clamped down on me and I had no way to, to, to move funds and, and make purchases. But I can tell you one thing is that it is an intimidating process to go from, you know, current like financial systems to a cryptocurrency, but I have never been more in control of my finances than now. Um, having control of that cryptocurrency, knowing that, you know, I use a cryptocurrency that's not traceable as much as Bitcoin um, is really important. So for those of you that are really interested in privacy and want to choose the best cryptocurrency for privacy, Monero is going to be your, your, your goal. Um, Monero is probably one of the least uh, infiltrated uh, cryptocurrencies uh, in circulation, really. Um, so <clears throat> I don't have a whole lot of questions. Um, so one question that came through, uh, Drake was asking, well, he basically, it was a statement, ban facial recognition. I have to agree with that. It has no purpose in society. Absolutely. Um, facial recognition is actually kind of funny because, um, you know, I'm definitely not the type of person to like single out races or, or whatever, but when you look at how facial recognition treats certain ethnic groups is absolutely fucking ridiculous. And if they implement that on a nationwide basis, um, we're going to have a civil war at some point um, because it, it is not a good, I have not seen a perfected facial recognition software yet. Um, it's still pretty dangerous. Um, and he also says a new federal affairs. Yeah. I, there's, there's a lot of sketchy things around it yeah tons tons uh, um, there's there's i mean like 
I don't want to live in a China situation personally. <laughs> and like from what we read, maybe it was like a year ago now, I guess before all this in um, uh, Hong Kong, like it's pretty scary. Um, and even beyond that, like there's a lot of holes in the facial recognition recognition systems and just like them not like being accurate. Like, yeah. And that's just like you have uh, deep fakes, for example, coming out and they're only getting better. And I mean, you can probably fool a couple of the uh, facial recognition systems with them. Yeah, I mean, th there's so many ways that you can defeat the facial recognition, right? So they look at distance between eyes, they look at cheekbone structure, they look at dimensions of the, the actual face. Um, that AI is not really AI, and it's so easy to defeat. Um, I remember when we started defeating uh, ATM machines. By it, has, it has moved a little bit from that. Mm -hmm. I so, think you're talking about... Um, I think it's hard cascade uh, yeah. that is like the rule base where they're measuring. There was like set predetermined things like between your eyes, your nose, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that was like first gen. It's got a little better, but yeah, you're right. It's not. Most, like, most of the countries that I've flown. I guess it's real AI, but. <laughs> yeah. Most of the countries I've flown into use the very legacy form of facial recognition. Um, and from what I've heard from people who operate the systems, it's never like it's rarely correct. Um, it identifies people with the wrong race and all kinds of stuff. Um, so Drake had another comment, a new federal. Even just like testing all the random. Go ahead. Just testing all the, uh, the random um, competitors and identity verification. I was trying to get my, uh, my partner to scan her face on one of them. And she tried for like five minutes on this, like this app, like it's a real company and, and she couldn't get it to, to verify her face. Like, for a driver's license trackers it's and beyond that it's just confusing on a lot of them there's like random circles that uh, you got to match shit up you don't really know what's going on it, it reminds me all it reminds me a lot of google glass when you take a photo and google glass like tries to identify what's in the picture and they put the little dots all over shit and it comes <laughs> up with the most random shit i've ever seen i'm like no that's not right bro <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, th there's a lot of advances to be made. Um, I do think cryptocurrency is going to overtake the dollar at some point because our government has made a habit of just printing random fucking pieces of paper that, that are worth nothing. Um, and I think it's going to come to a point where the people really want to take back their control of their own money. And in traditional banking, you don't have that control. You know, when you look at spending $3 for a cup of coffee and you get charged a $25 insufficient funds fee, if, if it was like processed wrong, um, that's an issue. And I think a lot of banks had to, had to answer to that. Bank of America was one of them um, where they had unreal insufficient funds fees. It was like driving people. What they would do is they would take the highest, the highest amount of a transaction and process it first, even though it may have came in sequence a lot later than the current transaction um they charge that one first because it's the most and they can make, make the most amount of money off that transaction and it's really it really fucked people so they had to answer for that um to congress at one point and i think we're going to see a lot of that um federal reserve a lot of people don't understand it's not a government function it's not a government entity it's a private organization um, and they've been running rampant for a very long time. It's, it's a huge mess. And I won't disclose how we do security uh, assessments on the Federal Reserve, but it's really scary. Um, I was literally told what button I could press and what button I couldn't press on my own laptop. 
Um, so they, they go after positive results and they don't want any negative results. Uh, so that's why you see a lot of compromise in the financial systems. Um, so with that, Alex, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Like it means a lot to me that you, that you stepped up at, at a short notice and, and jumped on the show and your story is fucking absolutely fascinating. And I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to tell a part of it on our show. <laughs> and I hope that you keep coming back to, to the Haunted Hacker Discord and to our show and, and participate. Um, you definitely have a home here. Uh, Luke, thank you for, for you know, being for sure. I love and it. helping out. And uh, with that, I am going to, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close the meeting. Um, but I do want to thank Ryan can i uh reply to steve yeah absolutely real quick absolutely absolutely that cool um so he asked basically like is there any uh are you not well first of all are you anonymous i mean if you're using any like app that requires any of the kyc stuff no you're not anonymous the whole point is for you not to be anonymous um with that said you might be able to find an option such as monero um where like you could transact anonymously, but you need to get the Monero anonymously. So maybe you go meet with a guy in an alleyway and give them some dollar bills or something. Uh, that's kind of your best bet. And the KYC stuff, like it, it's bad that they're collecting all that information, but it's also bad that they're like collecting all that information on your database. Like uh, the, Binance, I think it was Binance hack um, where like some tens or hundreds of thousands of KYC documents were leaked. Mm -hmm. I bet you'll start seeing a lot more of that. Cause like if I buy weed online, I have to upload my driver's license or my passport and yeah. they display it like on my profile page openly, like unmodified. <laughs> and maybe the worst part about all that, that you might not like totally realize, but I'll give you like a little insider hint on kind of what I learned from the whole payment processing industry is those photos of your photo ID aren't unique. And um, maybe like one payment processing company needs to do KYC with another payment processing company on your behalf. And they just copy and paste that picture over and suddenly you're verified on the other service. But was that you that verified it? I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a little worrisome. Yeah, and another uh, interesting point uh, about financial systems was the online payday loans where you would get like uh, a deposit within an hour. Um, I know some people that took full advantage of that verification process. And at one point they made like $10,000 in one day from payday loans. Um, so the financial industry has a lot to, has a lot to uh, you know, increase their security with. But Again, Alex, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Um, and my time in Houston and when I was struggling with COVID, like you really helped me out.